You're listening to 43 Feet, a podcast about leadership. We believe that real leading happens out front, but that usually means you're probably building the next 43 feet of good road for those behind you while you're running the race yourself. My name is Frank Schwartz, known in the gloom of the early morning as Dark Helmet to my F3 brothers. Make way for Dark Helmet. All rise in the presence of Dark Helmet. Every week, I'll be talking with leaders in and out of F3, including regular appearances for my shared leadership team. If I'm going to do this, I'll need my news team at my side. News team, assemble! We're here for candid conversations, to answer questions from around F3 Nation, to pontificate wildly, teach leadership, and otherwise attempt to help you navigate the next 43 feet. And we're back. Welcome back to another episode of the 43 Feet Podcast. As always, my name is Frank Schwartz, uh, a.k.a. Dark Helmet, and uh, we are grateful that you are here listening to us. Uh, Many, many great things happening around F3 Nation. Super excited uh, for this kind of reboot of the reboot of the reboot of the 43. Uh, We're kind of doing something a little bit different than we've done in the past, and I'm I'm pretty excited because uh, we've got some really great uh, leaders and men who are focused on leadership and on making us better men that are going to be joining us on the podcast going forward. And uh, to that end, uh, I have, <laughs> it's the strangest thing in the whole world, Pax. Uh, I joined a service called Podmatch. And the intent is, you know, you put in, hey, my podcast is about this. And I like these kinds of topics. And these are the sorts of things that we talk about. And then it's like, a, you know, some sort of strange e-harmony for podcasters, I guess. And it kind of, you know, matches you up with people who have either written books or, you know, they have some sort of leadership development business or whatever it might be. Right. And so that's that's how we're finding a lot of these guests now, um, because I found that, uh uh, I, I found that just reaching out randomly to people is tougher than I thought. So we got a little help. And so I was, I was matched actually very early on here uh, to our guest today. Our guest today is David Edwards. Uh, David Edwards is, uh, he's an author uh, for one thing. He's a uh, healthcare uh, professional um, in, in a sense, right? I don't know that you are a doctor, um, but uh, CEO. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So CEO of a, of a healthcare center um, for many years. Um, he, he worked his way through business school, got his MBA in healthcare administration, um, and then served a lot of uh, what I guess would be kind of considered underserved populations. Yes. On, and not just here, but over a, a, a number of different uh, places and countries over the last 35 plus ish years. Uh, and then somewhere along this, this road here, David, you felt a need to write a book. And this book uh, is called New You, Who Knew? <laughs> right? And so it's kind of, well, without giving away too much, first of all, everyone, welcome David Edwards to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, it's great to have you. Uh, and there's some, th- some things that David and I have discovered uh, right before we, re- we started recording today uh, that we'll get into a little bit later and just kind of how this all this whole strange world works. But um, Knew You Who Knew is not a healthcare book. You're a healthcare professional and you learned the things that you wanted to teach and to tell people uh, through your healthcare experience, but it's not a healthcare book. What, what is this book about? Yeah, that's correct. But it can be. What's amazing is that the principles, it's a book, a book about 
10 core principles. And these principles are, and I didn't know this going into it, but you know, as you discover, are applicable to all domains of life. So as a husband or a father, as an employee or an employer, as somebody who has a physical body and is trying to take care of it, as somebody who has a mental capacity and trying to take care of that, as somebody who's going to school, right? Whatever domains of life, these principles truly are universal. They're across all faith systems or a lack of faith, but that's kind of a misnomer because we all have faith. <laughs> You're believing in <laughs> some, some kind or another. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it, that's what I found was that they're really broadly applicable. What it came, so the, the roots of this, I was serving as the CEO of a health center. And we had been very fortunate, I would say, to make a lot of improvements. So the four years or so that I had been there, you know, our quality was the best in our entire region. Um, we were financially doing very well. Um, people wanted to be partners with us. They wanted to receive, be, I hate to say receive, they wanted to engage with us in their healthcare journey, whatever that meant. Because our model that we had developed would say, Frank, if you came into the health center, we expect you to not only come and show up, we expect you to be the captain of your healthcare team. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out. No way. Yeah. I'm just supposed to come up and receive services. You're supposed to just give me, right? Exactly. So the typical model is if I'm the doctor and you're the patient, you come in, we have a conversation, I poke and prod a little bit, I pat you on the head and say, this is what you should do. And if you're a good patient, right, you will go off and do it. Here's your lollipop, and now you'll <laughs> right, exactly. now you'll go off go and on your way. And I hate to say it, but that's kind of a, a little cynical, perhaps. But that's the typical doctor-patient relationship. Yeah. What we realized, of course, was that Frank, you're a whole person, <laughs> and you yeah. come into the health center every now and again. But you know, the vast majority of your life is out. Yeah. It's outside of the health center, right? Sure. So we want to engage with you in a new way, in a way that says you are responsible for your own life. We are simply here to help you. We have some expertise. So on a care team, you might have a primary care provider and a nurse, and that could be it. You could have a therapist. You could have a health coach. You could have a community health worker. You could have a behavioral health peer. You could have, we have all of these various roles around supporting you on your health journey. But really, you need to be the captain of that team because you are responsible for your life, not us. We are simply here to assist you, to help you to be more successful. And that was the model that we had built. That and we is, were, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. We were then we thought this is really cool. Um, you know, we, over the last few years, we designed and built a couple of new health centers. Um, but the flagship health center, the old one had been built in the eighties. Um, we'd grossly outgrown. It. I mean, I was in a closet as a CEO and I left my closet so we could put a dentist in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, and oh, I big got corner an office, office closet yeah. outside um, wow. and we would just grossly outgrown the building. And we knew that this model that we developed was really the future of where things should go and that we wanted to go. So we thought, well, let's design a building right around this model. 
So we were looking at facility design, literally, because there's something called white coat syndrome. And it's this idea that when you go to the doctor, the dentist, the therapist, yeah. there is a level of anxiety about going into this sterile place with the white oh, uniforms yeah. and, you know, and you're, you know, something's not right. Right. So that's what, right. why you're going in there. It's not no, because it's very true. Happy. Every time I go in for my annual physical, uh, I find my, like, they always are like, you know, we know you, so it's okay, but your blood pressure is always just on the edge of high. Yeah. And then they're like, go back to the CVS or whatever, you know, stick your arm in the machine and make sure it's still low later. You know, but yeah. it's, there it is. There's something about walking in there that you're like, ah. Exactly. Yeah. And we all know this, right? Yeah. We all know this, but people don't do anything about it. So we were studying <laughs> something, for example, called biophilic design. It's this, this theory that I can use nature. So that when you walk into my building, whatever level of anxiety, you know, that's almost always a little bit above normal, sure, right? That without even thinking about it, because of how the facility is designed, when you walk in, you take a breath and you're a little more relaxed. Interesting. I mean, why wouldn't we design a building that way, right? If you sure. know that this is an issue. Anyways, so we were trying to be very thoughtful. That's the short story. And I had this first epiphany. <laughs> if you're going to be the captain of the care team and we've got great people and a great new facility and great information systems and all of these things, you know, this team of really com compassionate, smart people, um, unless we can help you fulfill this unusual role more successfully, we're going to limit our own success dramatically. And of course, uh -huh. we wanted to be more successful. That was the whole purpose was to better accomplish our mission to help you advance your own health. And so um, I thought, and I'm a little embarrassed, you know, I'd been working for quite a while as a CFO or a COO or a CEO at different places. Um, and I thought... I don't really know what that means even. <laughs> so we had this multidisciplinary team and I started uh -huh. talking to people, you know, like, well, what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean to you as a therapist or as a physician or a nurse practitioner or a, a medical assistant or frankly, the front desk receptionist? I don't care because we all have a role in this, right? We all have a perspective in this yeah. and, and I wanted to learn. And so... I was, as a part of this process, I started studying change models because I realized it's really all about change, right? Change is the only constant. Sure. And so I thought, you know, there's, you know, as this thinking evolved, there are two kinds of change that we all should be interested in. So the first kind of change that we all think about, for example, and it is common and it's all around us is outside change, right? So when I first started in healthcare, mm -hmm. when we were talking about connecting, right? I bought a modem. It was literally the size of um, a small printer. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and it was, you know, basically barely dial up speed on right. the phone line. Right. But, you know, it cost $2,000 and it was this big capital expense. 
And, you know, you plug that thing in and I could barely talk to a health center that was 30 miles away, you know, that we had built a satellite from the mothership, if you will. And, you know, that was technology at the time. And now I'm on a Zoom call from the East Coast to the West Coast with video and it's just seamless and it's slick and it's plug and play. And, you know, and so this change is constant. It's all around us, right? We have electric cars now. We have blah, blah, there's all this stuff. Right. When my wife and I were fairly newly married, we saved for like a year (laughs) and bought a VCR. This was a fancy forehead VCR from Sears. (laughs) That's a very old sentence you just said, David. (laughs) Exactly. And so, you know, but it was really cool. And it was the best, you know, highest tech device that you could find to record a tv show or play a movie on Uh and i was pretty proud of myself because i could program the vcr pressing these buttons so that it recorded a tv show on tuesday at five o'clock before i got home and then we could watch it that night after dinner right that was pretty slick what a world (laughs) i know it was another world but now we stream everything and if i can't binge four of them in a row right then i like what's wrong with the world right and so the world changes so we need to keep up with right we need to adapt we need to learn right with this external change that's going on but the change that's more important and that we don't read about as much because it doesn't make a lot of money for anybody And that's the change that goes on inside. How am I changing? Hmm. How am I evolving? Who, in fact, am I becoming as the captain of my own life? Yeah. And so I was studying change models about how that happens, right? How, what are the things that have to come into place? What are the skills? What are the principles behind this kind of change process? And my second epiphany was that, at the core of every change model is something called intrinsic or personal motivation. Okay. And so this idea of you being the captain of a care team is where it started. Right. And it kind of morphed into how do I become the captain of my own life? So that whether it's in a domain of my health, mental or physical, or hopefully both combined and integrated, right? whether it's my work, whether it's just my personal development, my physical development, whatever domain of my life it is, how can I be more effective so that I'm the captain of my life? You know, there's a scripture and not everybody's religious, I realize, but, you know, it talks about no longer being tossed to and fro by all the winds of doctrine. And I think it's in Ephesians. And so, Um, This idea that there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of opinions, right? And today we have access to more opinions than ever before. (laughs) Good heavens. But how do, exactly. So how do I though be in the captain chair of my life so that I'm not just being attracted here or there, but I'm actually guiding and leading my life. And it's one of the things I loved about your podcast because right, how do we as men be better leaders? Yeah, And so I started studying in, in detail what is intrinsic motivation all about, this 
foundation to, in fact, being the captains of our lives. And I discovered these 10 principles in three core areas. So there's values, something called self-efficacy. I promise I won't use that word again because nobody knows what it is. <laughs> and, and then something that sounds nice that people don't understand much better, which is self-compassion. Mm. But these three thematic areas and the 10 principles underneath them are in fact the keys. They're universal, they're enduring. Socrates talked about some of these things 3,000 years ago. Uh -huh. We'll uh -huh. talk about them 3,000 years from now because they are simply how we as human beings function, how we operate, and then aligning our lives with these principles will in fact make our lives better in all domains. And I, I just, I've been kind of flabbergasted at how profound this was as a person who kind of felt I was a pretty thoughtful person and not super smart, but reasonably intelligent, how surprised I was at some of these things. Super interesting. So, so here you are, you're on this, this journey to revolutionize healthcare, uh, somewhat inadvertently, maybe like it was kind of a, you know, I'm thinking about this a little bit differently because you're right. And this is, I think, a tendency of much of our society, right, is to say, well, they're the expert, so I will outsource my decision-making to them, whoever the them might be. Uh, we joke sometimes in F3 about, um, we, we say that's pulling a meteorologist, Jim. So if you're familiar with Jim Cantori, you know, and Jim Cantori will say, he, it's not good enough for Jim to just say, hey, the hurricane's coming. Jim will say, you need to get out of your house right now. And if you don't, you're a terrible person because you're making first responders come to you. And you're like, well, Jim, how about this? How about yeah. you're in, you know, Atlanta or wherever you are, and I'm in, you know, where I am and, and I'll make the risk assessment for myself. And so you're, you're kind of hitting on a very, what we think is a very important principle that, you know, you are here on this planet to act and not let everything act upon you. Right. And Perfect. so you would, yeah. And so, so taking, but, but Jim, I'm not a healthcare guy. And I'm certainly not an expert in my life. If I was an expert in my life, I think I'd probably be further along than I am right now, right? So <laughs> what's the value here? Why, why shouldn't I just consult the experts and just do whatever they say? Why, why, why is it so important that I be the captain of this journey? Well, because you are a whole person. So anybody, almost anybody, except for maybe your best friends or your pastor or somebody who really knows you well, your brother or something, your parents maybe, right? Most people know a little slice of you. And so they don't know your background, your training, you know, your experiences, um, your family life, whatever that situation is. I mean, whatever it is, though, you are a whole person and you have all of these elements in these aspects, your faith, your physicality, your mental status, capacity, mm -hmm. all these things. And so as everybody comes and throws ideas at you, it gives you their kind of opinion on things. They're almost inevitably focused on a narrow slice like the weather. <laughs> sure, sure. They don't know that you have a bomb shelter in the basement, right? Or you know that you've planned for this, or whatever it is. Yeah, right. Um, and so you know they're they're generally and necessarily right have a very broad audience, and they kind of have to talk to the if you will the lowest common denominator. Sure, yeah, the and fat so, part of the curve, right? Yeah, and so you as an individual though want to listen to these things, right? Because frankly in a spirit of 
somewhat of meekness or humility, right? You, you should listen to them because you could probably learn something. But you have to take it within context of the whole you and your whole circumstance and situation. So you can't just take it wholesale and say, oh, well, that's it. You know, we have to be thinking men. We have to be men who are interested in being aware of what's going on inside of us and in what's going on around us, which is, in fact, <laughs> the second principle of the book, is this sense of awareness. Um, anyways, and that's why that matters, you know, and that's why we have to be thinking people. Yeah, and you mentioned the, you know, the 10 and you know, the second one uh, being, you know, what you just mentioned there, but maybe give us just kind of a quick rundown uh, of, of the 10, the 10 sure. principles. So the first principle is to make your own personal core values explicit. So realize that that's a very specific meaning. I didn't just say that you've got values because we've all got values. Sure. But research tells us that 80 plus percent of us have never bothered to make them explicit. And so it's kind of like having an exercise routine where you don't really follow best practices and you're not evolving and developing and you're just kind of like doing a few things and, you know, Hey, I exercise, yeah. you know, I, I was going to say it's, it's exactly how I approached my fitness uh, after my doctor, you know, it was, this is, you know, eight, nine years ago. And she was like, uh, next time you come in here, if you haven't had a stroke by then uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you all these medicines. Cause you know, I'm 50 pounds overweight and you know, my high, my blood pressure's high and my cholesterol's high, all this kind of stuff. Right. And so my approach to fitness is exactly what you just described. Uh, uh, at the very beginning, I would go to the gym and I'd be like, uh, I don't know, I guess I'll, you know, I'll jog on the treadmill for a mile or so. Uh, maybe I'll go to these machines that I don't really understand what they do and I'll move them around a little bit and then I'll be like, all right, I'm a workout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so you think about that versus the workout that you engage in regularly today. Oh, yeah. Is there not a difference in the power and impact on your life? No, hundredfold. Yeah, hundredfold. Exactly. Yeah. And so this simple process, it's completely free. It takes a couple hours of your time to make your core values explicit is exactly the same idea. It will be so much more powerful in your life. And what's neat about it is not just because your mother told you who was very smart, by the way, you should listen to your mother, <laughs> right? Um, or because somebody a thousand years ago talked about this and said, you know, you should think about this. Because today, in this 21st century, we've researched it. And there mm -hmm. is evidence, a strong evidence base about the benefits to you of going through this simple process. So values, awareness. So that's both of what's going on in you and around you. Learning. So this is learning from things that go well and learning from things that don't go well. So this is learning as a habit. Okay. Intention. So what is my intent? Planning. So that's making plans. Like, what do I want to accomplish? What do I want to do? And as I introduce, no, I was gonna say, more so, importantly, what do I want to become? Go ahead. There we go. No, I was going to say, so the beginning is laying those, those clear values out, but, but then down the list here is now making a plan to, to do something about them, like exactly. actually writing the plan out as well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, faith without works is dead. I've read that somewhere. <laughs> and you've heard that somewhere. So, yeah. And so, you know, this idea of we make plans, which is great, but then the next principle is to actually carry them out, right? To do it. 
and I think there's an important distinction because I know time is limited. We never have time to get into all this stuff. But I think if there was a key takeaway here, especially as men, we tend to be more focused on doing stuff, right? Whether we're a tow truck called Tater and we're going to get her done, right? right. Or you know, if you have little kids, <laughs> but um, or whatever as men, and and most of what's out there is about getting stuff done, right? How do I get more done? How yeah. do I climb higher? How do I, <clears throat> excuse me, do more push-ups? How do I make more money? How do I get this raise? How do I whatever right. it is, right? right? We're all about getting it done. But in the journey of life, and I don't know how far I want to get into this, but anyways, I try to use a natural metaphor, right? So we're not machines, we're human beings. We want to align ourselves with how human beings work, not machines. That's a metaphor that has some value, but it has serious negative repercussions and challenges to us as men and as society, Um, and if we want to talk about that later, I think it would be great. But uh, yeah. anyways, just for now, to touch on that as planting a seed, um, we're focused on it. But what I believe we all need to do is have at least one what's called a process goal. Again, this has been researched. This idea of who, not what, but who am I becoming? Mm-hmm. So instead of just doing climbing higher and making more and, you know, having more stuff, you know, whatever those kinds of goals are, which are fine. We need to have some balance in life, which is who am I becoming and to have some goal, at least. And I don't recommend a lot of goals around this, but at least at, at any given time, a goal about who am I becoming this process and it's never really an end. Right. And that's, challenging for us because we want to have a clear a smart goal right yes and i talk about smart goals but but this is really a different kind of smart goal this is the kind of goal that if we focus on this a little bit every day for the rest of our life who am i becoming we in fact build in within us this capacity to actually do more and get more done And so it's a process of balancing who am I becoming with what I am doing or striving for so that they remain in balance and what I'm doing is sustainable. And Mm. what happens is inevitably in our lives, there are some challenges, sometimes some really big ones. So in nature, you might think of ourselves more like a tree, right? And there's a big windstorm or there's a big rainstorm and the soil loosens up, right? And the trees blow over or hurricanes, you know, these kinds of things happen in nature. And it's not like it happened 100 years ago, it happens like every year, right? right? Somewhere, maybe around us every year, right? (laughs) And so these storms and challenges are inevitable. They're just a part of our life. And if we have a big top on our tree, like lots of fruit, because we're focused on producing, producing, but the trunk and the roots are weak, Mm-hmm. And the roots don't go deep and wide, and they're not, you know, as effective at drying up the nutrients and bringing up the water that the tree needs to thrive, right? Then our catastrophes tend to be catastrophic. I mean, our challenges tend to be catastrophic, right? Yeah. So instead yeah. of a big windstorm where I blow around a little bit, you know, I'm all right. When it's done, I lost a few leaves, maybe a branch yeah. or two. Nothing, nothing I'm okay, can't be fixed. right? Because yeah. I was 
really well rooted in the ground and this trunk is strong and flexible. So I moved with the challenges or it's a drought, right? And so my right, roots are deep. Right. So I'm getting stuff that other trees couldn't get, right? Yeah. So my failure, I might have a little less harvest for a year, but overall I'm strong, I'm healthy, I'm vital, and I'm going to actually do better than a tree that has a big top and the little trunk and roots, right? Because I'm going to be around next year after they've blown over, after they've yeah. had a breakdown or a major, you know, meltdown of some kind. And so by having this focus on roots and trunk, this becoming process, I actually produce more in the good years and I'm more resilient in the bad years. It's, it's a win no matter what kind of a season that we're in, right? So this idea I don't mean to dwell on this so much, but this idea yeah. of balance for men, especially, is super important. The next principle is belief as a foundation or a framework on which we build. Belief is essential to all of us. If we think about it, if I don't believe that this something is possible, it's almost certainly not going to happen. Sure. Right. If I don't have some belief, some faith, if you will. Right. Um, but if I do believe it, it may not happen still, but it's at least possible. And my odds of achieving it go up dramatically, right? If I don't have some belief, I won't even try things like right. starting a podcast, right? If you didn't have some belief that this was the work going to work out, it wasn't going to move your purposes forward, you wouldn't have even started it. Right. But you had that foundation, that framework of belief, and you're able to build on that and do all these, you know, for all the other principles. So then right. the last three are self kindness. This is actually amazing. I was going to ask you, help me more we, with that one. We actually grew up, many of us, I don't know about most of us, but many of us, where it was pretty common when we mess up, we say some pretty nasty things to ourselves. You sure. idiot. Right. How stupid is that? That's just like you. I can't believe I did that again. What a moron. Or whatever it is, right? Whatever right. our version of this conversation with ourselves. But what the research has shown is that when I talk to myself in that way, mm -hmm. whatever mistake or flaw or thing I'm you know, dealing with, my capacity to successfully deal with it has just decreased. So I basically just shot myself in the foot or in the head, metaphorically, because of this kind of self-talk. But if I learn to speak to myself, as would a close friend or family member who cares about me, I mean, do you ever have a friend who maybe messed up, made a mistake? And you went up to them, you put your around them, arm around them and said, look, you're a moron. That's just what I would expect from you, right? You've <laughs> no. probably never done that. I mean, uh, some, some guys in F3, you know, we give each other a pretty hard time. But uh, no, never never with the actual intent to call someone a moron. You might go, well, idiot, you, you screwed this up. But hey, guess what? You know, we're, we're going to fix this together. We, we got this. You're, you're, you're you a go. smart guy. You're going to, you know, you're going to be okay kind of thing. But, exactly. Yeah. And what we do with ourselves far too often, though, is we fail to get to that point where we're going, no, that isn't like me. I know that I can do better than that. Um, and I'm going to work on it. Right. So there's a very right. distinct difference, because when we talk to ourselves with self-kindness, we actually build 
and we grow our capacity to then deal successfully, right? So we can either kick ourselves or we can help ourselves. And our self-talk is a big part of that. So then ninth principle is this idea that we are part of a common humanity. Um, we are all this, this was virtually every faith that I'm aware of mm-hmm. somehow believes that we're all related. We're all brothers and sisters, right? Yeah. We all have a common father, some version of that. But even if I believed I crawled out of the primordial slime, yeah, you know, still we common ancestry. Common parents, right? Yeah. We have common ancestry. <laughs> yeah. And and I have some of my atheist friends, I say, so it was like a hundred trillion to one that we crawled out of the primordial slime. But you know, we're not uh, self-reproducing here. So somebody else had to crawl out of the primordial slime of the opposite gender for us <laughs> to get together to create another one, right? That's right. That's like unbelievable odds. But anyways. But, you know, whatever our background is or our faith around that, it doesn't matter because we are all connected. And as alone as we might feel in a time of trial or struggle, you are a man of your, I think this is mostly oriented towards men, right? It is. So, you know, there are 8 billion people on the planet and about a... Four billion men, <laughs> yeah, give or you take, know, right? Roughly. Yeah, <laughs> and and there are people that have gone through what you've gone through. You are not alone. Yeah, and we have this capacity to recognize that I'm not alone in the world. Mm-hmm. As unique as we feel, as rare or horrible as it feels in the moment, we are not alone, and we don't have to be alone. Right. So the sense that we have this common humanity and really important as one of the skill sets under this. So like each chapter is a principle. Then I talk about some common skills with the idea that, Frank, you might read that chapter and you'll get some skill that really resonates with you. Mm -hmm. And somebody else listening will read the exact same words in the same chapter (laughs) as something else. Right. A different skill will feel more appropriate, powerful, useful, applicable to them. And that's why I wrote the book that way. It's not to say you do all these things, right? You have to learn all these skills. It's really to say out of this kind of smorgasbord, these choices that are related to this principle that are going to help you incorporate this principle into a real average day-to-day life, um, pick something. Yeah. Not all of them. Pick right. something that you think. Find you the can things use. that will work for you. Exactly. And do them. Exactly. Yeah. And then the final principle I titled mindlessness. <laughs> yeah, and, that, that's an interesting uh, an interesting topic. Well, yeah. help, help me with that one. And so, <laughs> I was largely done writing the book, and I watched a Dr. Phil episode. So Dr. Phil's a psychologist, right? And, right. and he was doing this interview and he said, I was talking to somebody and I was talking about being mindful with them. And he said, I could just see them in their head going, woo, 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 mindfulness. That's crazy talk, right? Um, you know, yoga pants and candles, granola, <laughs> got to light some incense, yeah. you know, yeah. and I got to wave sounds and, or something. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of baggage. There's a lot of bias when we say mindfulness. And what I wanted to do, because I wrote the book for 
average people, men and women. But, you know, I wanted to make it kind of as generic as possible in that way and as approachable as I could. Right. And so I thought, so anybody, this is a pretty common bias, right? So how can I title this in a way where we'll actually crack open the door and they'll actually think about it for a second? Because the whole book, if there was one theme, it is to have you think a little bit every single day and to make that a normal habit. So this idea of mindlessness, I say in the first kind of paragraph or two is like, you have a mind, right? Theoretically. Theoretically yeah. <laughs> I have a mind. Uh-huh. So when I talk about being mindless, it cannot be the lack of a mind. Right. It must be the lack or the way that we use or don't use our mind. And that's all I'm talking about here. Yeah. Mindfulness is simply how are we using what scientists have described the human brain is the most amazing and complex creation in the entire universe. Trillions of connections that can form and strengthen. And just like exercising physical muscles, Mm -hmm. when we use our mind in thoughtful, mindful ways as the captain of our life, what happens is those thoughts become more normal. They become easier. They become robust. They grow just like a muscle grows. You know, you exercise your biceps and you got those tears and it heals and gets stronger and better. And you do it again in a few days and you do it again and it gets bigger and stronger. Your Mm -hmm. mind, it doesn't rip and tear like that, but there are pathways. Conceptually. Yeah. Yeah. Conceptually it's called plasticity. And this idea that your mind is kind of what it is. So like, Whatever is listening to this, wherever you are right now, your mind is a certain condition. It may be a well-honed, you know, robust, lean, amazing thing, or it could be a little flabby and you know, you're not using it as much, you know, <laughs> right. you focused on other things. So fine. You play too many video games, whatever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, and so whatever it is, right, it doesn't matter. We'll practice some self-kindness here and say, you know, it is what it is. And Frankly, at this point, there's nothing I can do about what I've done in the past or not done. But maybe today, if it resonates, you know, with the audience, I can say, hmm, my mind is an amazing tool. It's an amazing creation. And I never really thought about it, but I have power to use my mind and develop it. Just like I can develop my muscles, I can develop my faith, I can develop my self-kindness, right? I can use this amazing creation that God has given me and make it better and stronger and more useful for me so that things that I never thought I could do in the past, like maybe being kind to myself or maybe being more aware of myself or my situation around me or of how I plan or how I am balanced, right? Any of these ideas or concepts, I can develop them. And over time, they get stronger and stronger. And think of it like it's a little tiny pathway covered with brush at first and it's kind of awkward and it's you know it's not comfortable i'm having to work really hard and getting the machete out and hacking hacking a path through this stuff right but then 
over time, I'm going through that pathway again the next day, right? And I've cleared a little bit. It's a little bit easier and the path gets a little bit more distinct. And over time, I do that path again. And so I'm exercising in a well, right. in a way, right? And so then that path gets a little more distinct. The, the weeds are further back, you know, right. the brush is further away. Wearing the, the, the path on the, beneath your feet a little more smooth, all that Ex- kind of stuff. Exactly. It's a little yeah. easier to traverse. It's a little more natural. All of a sudden, I've got a wide path. Path and now I'm I'm laying some blocks down so I've got it's really really rugged and it's raining or whatever I'm I've got it going and all of a sudden I've got a highway and I'm just flying down this path I don't even think it about it anymore it's just there and I'm doing it and it's natural it's automatic and at that point what's amazing about your mind is you do a tiny bit of maintenance you don't have to work on it anymore it's just yeah. who you have become. Mm-hmm right? As the captain of your life, because you've chosen this path that you want to develop and evolve. And then you'll go, you know, I have become this amazing person in this way. And now I'm ready to start on the next thing. Right? Yeah. And I'll start brushing the, beating the brush away and cutting away the jungle, right? And I'll start this new path. And over time, as I'm diligent, as I'm consistent, and this isn't like I'm spent five hours a day on this, right? This is I've spent 10 or 15 minutes a day working on this consistently over time. And it's just natural. It's just how we're built. It's that that compounding effect. uh, Exactly. And all of a sudden, we've got all these pathways. And as the captain of our life, not the victim of whatever's going on in life, right? Yeah. We have developed these pathways and the person we have become is amazing. And it's a lifelong journey at whatever age you are. If you're 18 or 80, it makes no difference. The brain has the similar capacity. Yeah. We've proved this in science. And at 80, I may not be as good at learning Russian as I would have been at 18. <laughs> it's harder. It just is, frankly, the sure. way our brains are built sure. and life, it's harder, but it's still possible. It's still possible. But there are things at 80 I can actually do better than an 18-year-old. Well, sure, which is you've worn different pathways, right? Well, exactly. Because I've got more pathways. I've got more experience. I've got more stuff up here. My capacity, I'm 62 now, right? So at 62, my capacity to take, wow, I'm building this health center and I want to help people be the captain of the care team and to draw the lines between that and this idea of um, intrinsic motivation and change Mm -hmm. models and these various concepts and the principles and kind of draw that together, I'm much more facile at it at 62 than I would have been at 18, frankly. Yeah. Um, and so we shouldn't beat ourselves up because of where we're at or what we've done or not done. But we look at today and say, today's a new day. Yeah. I have this opportunity. What am I going to do with it? Looking to the future, working on it today over time results in this amazing life that we never even thought was possible because we would be evolving. We're becoming this new person who becomes so amazing over time. And, and we don't ever have to look back, right? Cause we are focused on today and what I'm doing as I'm building this vision of my future, which is what intentionality is about. It's yeah. about my vision of what I want to become. What do I want to do? 
over the rest of my life. I love it. I love it. David, uh, I got to tell you, so a couple quick things. Number one, as guys listened to this and as they have been listening over the last uh, hour or so, uh, hopefully they recognize the incredible parallels uh, with what you're describing uh, that's in your book and with with what we teach and talk about a lot in F3. And that's, and that's uh, I think, again, one of the things that I, I love about what you're doing is, is it's not a prescription it's not a, you must do these five things or here's, or worse yet, here's the three hacks, you know, or whatever it is, you know, yes, to getting better. Exactly. Oh, it's terrible, you know, but it's, uh, it's these, these core foundational principles upon which you can build your journey to make you the better man that you want to be. Uh, and so again, David, thank you so much for joining us today. Knew you, who knew? Uh, you can find it on Amazon. You can also go to uh, his website, which is davidredwards.com. Uh, it looks like David Redwards, but it's not. davidredwards.com. And uh, you can read all about the book, all about David. Uh, you can read some of his blog posts and all those kinds of things. And um, just uh, super honored to have you on today, my friend. And I really appreciate your time. Frank, thank you. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks for listening to the 43 Feet Podcast. If you like what you heard on the show, or if it's helped you in some way, we'd ask you to rate us, write a review, and share us with your friends and networks. It really does help others to find us. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, write us at questions at 43feetpodcast.com or tweet us at 43feetpodcast. The climb we're on to create virtuous leaders isn't going to be easy, but we'll get there 43 feet at a time.